Hello, today is Monday, January 22nd. Welcome to episode 288 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. I'm NSI's founder and executive director, Jamil Jaffer. I'm joined today by NSI's deputy director, Jessica Jones, and senior fellows Lester Munson and Morgan Vigna. Today, we're going to do things slightly different than usual. On Friday, we release a special episode of Fault Lines, NSI on the ground in Iowa. I interviewed four Iowans on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. And today, the Fault Lines team is going to examine their answers in the leads up to tomorrow's New Hampshire caucus. So, Jessica, I'm going to start with you. We had uh, four young people, um, all between the ages of 20 and 30, um, who weighed in on the way that they think about foreign policy, national security, and how it shapes their uh, their views. And these were four people from the Midwest, living in Iowa, uh, three of them actually from Iowa, uh, born and raised, uh, one from out of state but had lived in Iowa for a decade. What was your sense of their responses? How did you uh, think they thought about these issues? Uh, what was your takeaway from uh, that Friday Fault Lines episode? Um, one, I really enjoyed the episode and, and hearing what everyone had to say. Um, I actually wasn't that surprised. I mean, we joke, Jamil, your line is the world is on fire. And so you're asking anybody to keep up with a lot of news when you're asking about multiple conflicts and, you know, hot spots around the world. And so I wasn't surprised that they didn't have an answer to like, what should we do about Iran? You've got really legitimate, smart people who disagree on what should we do about Iran? And so when you're yeah. asking the average voter who has to worry about, you know, their nine to five, their childcare, about four or five different hotspots across the world, I, I'm not surprised that, you know, they could give kind of vague answers or their general sense, um, but they didn't have some specific policy recommendations. But what, what I did find surprising actually was that there seemed to be a thread of kind of some general overarching principles that I, yeah. I wasn't, I didn't expect for for the average American voter to to actually propose like to be a proponent of U.S. engagement in the world. And if there's an act of aggression, the U.S. should be there to respond and stand up um, for whoever is attacked. And that was the constant thread I felt through a lot of the responses. So they might not be specific, but that was a general feeling they had with some sense of accountability on, on you know on, on resources being used and how much we're expending. But I, I, I thought that was a very positive thing. I mean, particularly young people, right, Jess? I mean, it was surprising that, that these you, these sort of people in, the, in their 20s were like, yeah, no, the U.S. needs to be engaged in the world. We need to be out there forward-leaning. That was a surprise to me. Morgan, I mean, what was your what was your sense of it in terms of uh, their engagement? And again, remember, these are not foreign policy officials. These are people who have, you know, uh, one one was one lady was a nurse. Um, these are people working in marketing. I mean, these are these are people who don't who don't work on foreign policy every day, uh, like the folks around this table. Right. And so I think it's really telling to see the information that they do take in and they do absorb from from the international media and reporting because that's clearly where they get their news and that's how their opinions are framed and shaped. And so, I mean, unsur- perhaps unsurprisingly, what what sort of alarmed me the most was how they were talking about the Middle East in particular. You know, they acknowledged the Israel-Hamas conflict as, you know, a controversial topic, but they had mixed feelings about it, um, that there was you know, a lot of both sidesism at play. And then, of course, there was the reference to Israel's military operations in Gaza as as a genocide. And so for me, that was particularly alarming. Um, I did sort of have to take a breath, and I actually went back to the Reagan Institute's um, defense, National Defense Survey from last year and really sort of put that in perspective. You know, according to the survey, you know, 26% of Americans actually said that we're not doing enough to support Israel, and 19% of Americans, a plurality um, of those surveyed, felt that the Middle East was the, the priority region for the United States. And so um, I, I do think that there is um, an acknowledgement 
that uh, these issues, these conflicts are um, important. They do have an impact. Um, even if uh, many of the, the folks that you interviewed, your victims, so to speak, weren't <laughs> um, able to necessarily articulate them. So, but I think it's interesting because, um, you know, you raised this, this concern that they weren't sort of ardent enough. But I mean, I, it, from what I heard, three out of four of them were like, yeah, we should be doing more to support our allies in the Middle East, including Israel. And so, uh, you know, I saw it as a net win. I mean, these are young people who are influenced. By the way, I don't think they get their news from the international media, to, to be honest with you. My sense was, they were getting their information from social media, Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it, TikTok and the like. So we can see what's that, which is even more concerning. Well, but but that's my point. If our if the goal, if the U.S. government or or foreign governments' goals or whatever are to sort of influence the international media, we got to realize the real game. If we're talking about young people in America, is social media. It's not. It's not. CNN, you know, or whatever. And if it is CNN or those, or those channels, it's them broadcasting on their, on their social media channels as well. Les, what was your takeaway? I mean, you've, you've been doing this longer than any of us. Um, and, and so you have sort of a, a, you know, not, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean, you know, you've, you've been around longer. Um, what is, what is this Twitter you speak of? Um, I, so I thought it was fascinating. Great, great episode, really interesting responses from folks who are clearly following these issues and are aware of them and have, you know, kind of unpredictable views. And, and they don't really fit into, I think, what a lot of people inside the Beltway think of preconceived kind of categories. And every single person approaches these things with their with their own template, their own judgments. And even if they're not tracking every single detail of the issues in, in maybe the way we are, or some other folks who work in this area, they are paying attention. They're looking yeah. for things that they can promote. And I, and I think it shows that there's an opportunity here for policy leaders and politicians, and whether it's the president or members of Congress, to articulate a vision that makes sense and is explainable and can be picked up by voters. And I think people, yes. people are hungry for that. You know, uh, Donald Trump is doing that, I think, in a simplistic way uh, that but it's got an appeal because it's understandable. The Biden administration, you know, which I don't agree with on a bunch of stuff, may be closer to some of these voters than we think, where there is a more nuanced hmm. view of the Middle East than what a lot of us expect. So uh, I, I took a lot away from it. I think it's also important to remember it was four people. You can't draw too many broad conclusions because that's a pretty small sample size. The other uh, the other really interesting thing that someone said on the on the podcast, one of your one of your interviewees said, I don't really see how yeah. this affects my daily life. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think, again, for policymakers, it's important to explain, hey, this stuff does matter for all of us. And here's why that's that's a really hard thing to do. But the the party and the politicians who are able to do that best, I think, are going to kind of prevail in some of these debates. That was AJ. And I almost read it in the way and heard it in a way that was like, regardless of national security, just politics writ large, no matter what happens, nothing really impacts me. And he said, as I get older, I start to think with, you know, wider lens and about the wider, you know, global community. But I bet that's the I mean, the apathy, there's probably a lot of reasons. But for the average voter, they really don't feel a lot of change. Right. And so it's, I think, beyond just the national security conversation. Uh, but you're exactly we talk a lot at NSI about like meeting the customer where they are. And so if we want folks to feel informed and engaged on these issues, issues we, we do have to make a pitch to them to why they should care. That's an important point that, that Jess made here is that you did interview for young people and that individuals 
change um, and and reprioritize the issues that they care about um, as as they get older. National security issues traditionally are um, paid more attention to by an, an older demographic, right? Uh, and so as a result of that, I don't think it's necessarily surprising that you're seeing a lot of these young people have these opinions um, and not be as comfortable talking and confident in how they talk about foreign policy and it affects their daily life. But um, nevertheless, there's an acknowledgement that it could very well later on. Yeah, no, look, I think that's a great point. And I did talk to, I did try to talk to 50 different people in, uh, in two different coffee shops in downtown Des Moines. Um, and only these four agreed to be interviewed. I even watched you walked up by mistake. I didn't want to leave anybody feeling, uh, feeling left out. So I walked up even to a couple of reporters who were like, I, I think you might know I'm in the media. And I'm like, I just want to make sure nobody felt left out. Um, so look, well, look, folks, that's a wrap. Um, thanks so much to Devlin Burning, Claude Jennings, and the NSI team in helping produce, today, produce today's episode. Join us again on Wednesday, January 24th for another episode of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you smart fast on the National Security and Foreign Policy Debates Shaking Up America. Fault Lines now on YouTube. You can go watch the videos of our four interviewees from Iowa last Friday. You can watch our smiling faces today. So come out, and if you like what you heard or what you saw on YouTube, please rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks all.